Hello, this is IP Stories by 4IP Council, a podcast about innovation and intellectual property. Join us and you will hear about the journeys through invention, creation, and IP understanding of our guests. I'm Fernanda. And I'm Marta. And today we have the pleasure of welcoming to our podcast another Marta. Um, she is Dr. Marta Karcevich. Marta, could you tell our listeners about yourself and particularly what are you most proud of and what do you like the most about your job? Yeah, sure. So I have been working on video compression for over 25 years now. And I'm originally from Poland, as you probably can figure out from uh, <laughs> my second name. Uh, studied though in Finland, and that's where I started to work for uh, Nokia Corporation. Then I briefly worked for Microsoft, and at the moment I'm working, I would say probably over 15 years uh, already for Qualcomm. Mm. Um, and uh, just to explain briefly what do I do, because when I say, well, I work on video compression, uh, well, the other question is, so what? What is that needed for? So mm -hmm. uh, short explanation. Um, I think everybody these days watches video. I don't know uh, how many hours per day, but uh, that amounts to probably large numbers. It's becoming more and more uh, popular. When I was starting uh, my career, well, you watched video a bit uh, on the TV, just usual broadcast. And I think video over internet was just starting. Uh, it was still a very niche application. And on the phone, uh, well, forget it. The uh, phones were black and white. And if you could see uh, some image, that, that was that. Uh, now it's mm -hmm. completely different. Um, and... Uh, I think partially it's of, because of the evolution of the technology, but it's also partially of the evolution of the codecs, which allow us to uh, send the video in much more efficient way. Um, just to give you an example, um, if we capture video and we would send it as we capture it with no compression, mm -hmm. uh, what... Uh, for example, is becoming popular. It's 8K video, let's say 60 frames per second. Uh, these days, 120 is becoming more uh, and more popular. But let's just say 8K, 60 frames per second. You have your TV set. And if you would do it with no compression, uh, you would require at least 30 gigabits per second. I can bet mm. that your internet provider is not delivering that to you. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, and if, uh, so what, what video compression does is basically takes that, uh, tries to find uh, what is the correlation between the pixels within the frame, within the video, and uh, between the consecutive frames, it tries to utilize these uh, redundancies uh, and compress it, which means send the same data with uh, 
much less bandwidth. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the moment, what you are seeing on your screen is probably compressed at least 100 times, uh, sometimes much more. Some videos can be compressed and you, you will barely notice it uh, maybe 500 times. So that's, that's basically what do we do. And when I was starting, um, as I said, video maybe was not the most popular format. So there was not that much uh, work yet uh, on video codecs. But there was one video codec which was already very popular uh, called MPEG-2. I think um, it was developed around or finished around 95. I started to work maybe around 96 or a bit after that. Uh, And if you think um, what I was working on, I was working on uh, pretty much all the standards codec which uh, succeeded MPEG-2, so-called H.264 slash AVC, HEVC, and now VVC. Uh, and if you compare how much more we can do is that the latest codec called VVC can uh, send the same data of the same visual quality as MPEG-2 uh, with maybe around uh, less than one-fifth uh, or maybe even one-tenth of the bandwidth required. So that's kind of uh, the progress that the codecs made over time. And um, I would like to think that uh, I somewhat uh, contributed to the evolution of how the video compression improved over the years. Uh, Also, these two codecs, uh, which I mentioned, like AVC or HEVC, are probably the most widely used codecs in the world these days. Uh, So that's maybe what I'm the most proud of, that, you know, the technology that I happen to work on, it's on every phone, tablet, uh, TV, you name it, camera, uh, because these days we also use video in these industrial applications and so on. So... Uh, you go to the, you know, in US, Best Buy, a lot of devices, everything that supports video pretty much supports what I was working on. So that I would say is something that I'm most proud of. I never expected that uh, when I started that what I will be doing will contribute so much. And it's not only to the entertainment business, but... Um, uh, what I noticed over the year that improvements in compression spread the usage of video to other applications. I mean, again, um, without really good compression, video conferencing, uh, and which was especially you know useful during coronavirus, because that's how you connected to family to work, uh, it would never work. And I would say that um, new applications are emerging uh, thanks to possibility of better compression. 
That's amazing, Marta. Thank you so much. I'm very impressed um, with how much this technology has advanced and, and, and the fact that you have contributed so much. Um, so you have a very focused background, as you just mentioned, on video codecs, and, and you are one of the most prolific inventors uh, that I'm aware of. Um, what led you to where you are today? Um, somewhat an accident, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> so I was uh, studying in Finland and uh, my background, but like what I really liked and, and did in a high school and before that, uh, it was usually math, um, was participating in Manf Olympiads, did really well there. Um, and I was looking for, you know, something that uh, would allow me to continue my work. Uh, but I also had to be somewhat realistic. Uh, so, uh, Tampere University, uh, this is where I studied, had uh, some scholarships offered by Nokia. And um, studying pure math was not basically, I would say, an option, because uh, this is maybe not what they really needed later. Uh, but um, I was looking at the projects, which, which were a possibility to, you know, give back uh, to the company that like allowed me to uh, um, study and so on. And the options were really um, that kind of interest me, speech compression and video compression. Uh, because um, they actually require um, a really good math background and they are really uh, challenging and interesting. And I kind of picked video mainly because um, Speech looked like it's a really mature area already, or was at the time, or maturing, and video was so new. So I was kind of thinking that um, maybe it's a uh, it's a bad because speech, you know, in every mobile device was there. Video not so much, but on the other hand, um, since it's such a new area, uh, I was guessing that there will be m many more problems to solve uh, while speech probably because of its maturity uh, there is uh, less to be done there and uh, maybe I found it because of that less exciting so it was partially coincidence that I had these two projects to choose I picked I would think you know the the one that interests me more and I'm I'm, I'm very happy that I did so uh, it's not as specialized. I mean, you mentioned where that it's kind of specialized. It is and it's not, because if you look what um, video codec has, it's, it has quite a few elements um, that um, it's not like one method. We are using tens of different methods. Uh, I will just throw some names for people who understand. Great if they don't, just to give them like some some impression of variety. So uh, we are, you know, using methods from information theory like uh, entropy coding. Uh, we are designing different types of filters, different types of transform, working on motion estimation, 
different types of modeling of motion, like these days we are working of optical flow, affine motion, and so on. So these are, uh, let's say, modules that would be used also in other areas, like these days uh, computer vision is relying a lot on some of the methods which are base for developing mm -hmm. video codecs. And also the... The tools, like when the world is evolving, are also evolving. Uh, these days, we are also studying application of neural networks to video compression. So uh, it's kind of uh, getting broader and broader as, as we progress. Mm -hmm. So I think that's also something which is interesting because uh, I don't see this area stagnating. Um, You, you can learn something new every day, basically. I think that's very interesting. And taking back a little bit on what you mentioned before, uh, you said that you had a really um, early interest in math. And we know that the STEM industry is still very male-dominated. Um, and I would like to know what has been your experience as a woman working on cutting-edge technology? Um, I would say that, uh, before I moved to us and maybe this topic became more popular, I never thought mm -hmm. about it. Of course, I'm not blind. I did notice from the beginning, even when working in Nokia that, well, I might be the only one <laughs> in the team, <laughs> uh, uh, but, um, uh, it really never, um, bothered me or striked me as, as strange uh, till, I, till I really started to hear this conversation and um, it became like a bit more popular topic. I was like, hmm, okay, that's actually uh, somewhat true because uh, I work in three different companies in different teams. And if I'm not the only one, then I'm maybe one out of the two or three in the room, which maybe has tens of people. Uh, at the same time, what's interesting, when I was uh, studying, or at least uh, in Liceum, which is kind of maybe translates to the high school, and was uh, participating all, in all this math and physics competitions and so mm -hmm. on, uh, I didn't notice that, uh, I would say it was almost 50-50. Mm -hmm, okay. So it was a bit strange, maybe because I chose engineering, which is kind of um, perceived as maybe a bit more um, and was perceived as something that uh, is more chosen by guys or, or boys. Maybe because of that, when I moved to university and when later moved to the workplace, I noticed that, you know, I am the very small minority. <laughs> But uh, I wouldn't say that like in STEM, when I was like starting, that I had any impression that uh, there is some imbalance there. Do you see any improvements happening regarding diversity in, the, in this industry? I would say that there is clear effort to encourage uh, a woman to join uh, more engineering-related uh, jobs. I see it also in, in Qualcomm that 
there is an effort to uh, encourage more uh, women to join. But I would say it's not happening very quickly. And um, I think uh, part of it is that you know you have to um, reach certain critical mass, and then when uh, you go and start picking your direction or have your internships in different companies, and see that it's closer to fifty-fifty, I think you will be more inclined uh, to to pick this as 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 your future career. So it's. I think it will be like still a very long and um, road because, to some extent, it's about um, you know equalizing the number of. We can talk whatever we want, but when you don't see that it's around fifty-fifty, you start thinking. And I wouldn't say that I was not thinking about it. Like, uh, I guess the 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 projects, especially in bigger companies, are not small, right? And and. Uh, also, to do anything, you have to be um, aware of other parts of companies, what other groups are uh, working on. So, so-called networking is highly encouraged, and I think it's very good that it's being encouraged. I just realized that uh, it's more difficult for me uh, to do this just because of my gender. Not that, you know, anybody is trying to stop me and so on. It's just like, it's a bit more difficult to strike casual conversation and become, you know, part of the group talking about something. Uh, if you are the only one uh, and all the other guys are talking about football or whatever or soccer and, and so on, and I have zero interest <laughs> in it. So... <laughs> So you always, uh, you know, it's, 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 so it, there is nothing that I would say that really, uh, mm, I would say that really made my work more difficult. But like, for example, there are elements that would be possibly easier if there were more women in the workplace. Yeah. And this networking probably is one of the biggest, uh, biggest challenges that I noticed. I do it, but as I said, it, it's not the easiest thing in the world. Yeah. So uh, before, I really like the fact that you mentioned that you chose video compression because it meant more problem solving, or at least, you know, that there was more space for uh, investigation. Um, I have read that very early on, you found out that you liked solving problems and questioning everything. Can you tell us more about this? Um, well, I don't think actually here it's that much to tell. It's just my inclination that uh, I, I was drawn to certain you know, topics. And I like to say that maybe I was that, that good at, at math because I wasn't that good at anything else. <laughs> so anything that requires memorizing uh, I was pretty bad at, <laughs> so of course you are drawn to what what uh, what comes easy to you, so to speak. But it's not only that. Um, I just like to have a challenge, 
and uh, I found that this this type of problems um, and um, challenging what you know how people did things so far, um, how the what are the current designs brings me the most satisfaction because as I said. Um, you are analyzing the data and then you are thinking, you know, why was it done this way? Uh, and you are starting to question, can I do it better? So it's a bit of maybe my competitive spirit. It's a bit of a challenge and it kind of uh, keeps you on, on your toes all the time. So that's that's why I would say what I liked. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And it's actually something that, at least for me, it sounds like something that any inventor should have. So um, I'm going to link this with a question that I had in mind, because you are an award-winning inventor. And I would like to know, from your perspective, how should someone develop an inventor mindset? Um, I actually became inventor by coincidence I would say because um, I never thought about inventions when or I never do when I work uh, it looks like I became known thanks to inventions and the numbers that I have and so on but uh, it never really motivated me the reality is that um, as I said I just wanted to solve problems and um, the reality is that if you want to these days to contribute to outside bodies, uh, you usually are requested to, to file invention if uh, the idea seems new. So it became a byproduct of what I really like to do. And, you know, the, you have to kind of learn a bit how to write invention properly, but that's not a big effort. So I really never think as the invention uh, as the final goal. So if I will find a better solution, or at least the solution that I think that is better, uh, that is known in a different field, uh, I will be all too happy to borrow it. Uh, because the invention for me, it's not the goal. It's For me, the goal is to make uh, the solution as good as it can be. I really, I really like that perspective, and uh, you have worked on a incredibly high number of patents. And I would like to know uh, how intellectual property rights played a role in your career. Um, I wouldn't say it didn't really, like, uh, short of you know, making me a bit. Um, maybe a bit well known because of this European Inventor Award and uh, some articles saying, you know, uh, that I'm one, probably one of the more prolific women inventors. If you look at the number of patents not really generated, but how much people refer to them and, and use them in their own work, uh, that's the only thing that I think inventions brought me, that uh, it brought me recognition. Beyond that, uh, I don't really see that they play any role in my work. Like that, I, as I said, I don't think about them. I don't target them. 
if it happens, great. If it doesn't happen and I don't end up with an invention, uh, doesn't really bother me. It, it's just something that I started to think about only later in my career because this is how, um, in a funny way, the recognition is created. <laughs> That's part of the process of making things better, coming up with the best yes. possible solution, right? Yes, because like if you ask me what I'm more, prou more proud of, inventions or, of, for example, as I mentioned, I participated in three standards and I think had large contributions to them. And my team also like kick-started, let's say, maybe one or two of them. Uh, I'm more proud of that, that we, for example, initiated some work in the standardization or that at the end... Uh, I was invited to contribute to special issues mm -hmm. uh, uh, in journals on, on the standards than the inventions. So I perceive that more of a recognition of my work than the inventions. It's just that this is like known by very small community versus, yeah. uh, you know, inventions are maybe something that people talk more about. But if you ask me, I'm more proud of the the special issue papers, sure. the work like contribution to the standards, then the inventions. Sure. As, as some people uh, would say that the path from creating an idea and inventing something new to filing a patent application is quite often a long and difficult one. And what can you tell us about this process? Um, again, I don't really see that way. As I said, since I really don't think about it, I work on the idea, I describe the, it to the best of my abilities. And then, of course, we sometimes work with uh, lawyers to, you know, make the, the text a bit more clear and, and understandable and broader. But uh, I, it never strikes me that it's a difficult process, uh, but it's also because of my approach that if, you know, if I get it fine, if I don't get it, oh, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> so. I love that. Um, so I have a question for you that is uh, quite abstract. Um, so it's about what would you say is the biggest learning you have gained during your career? Maybe couple. Uh, be persistent. Uh, that's, I think, especially important in research. That uh, it's usually when I, I'm trying to solve some problem or improve some parts of the codec, uh, I try 10 different things, maybe one of them really works. So, because uh, we are not implementing something which is known. It's like um, we are taking state of the art and hoping that maybe you can do it better. Yeah. It might be false hope in some cases, but in some cases it mm -hmm. works, right? But if you are not persistent and you are not ready to uh, try different things time after time and, and maybe you won't see any results for a couple of months out of your work, you are not going to succeed. 
that's how I see. So the persistence is basically maybe the most important thing. The second, um, I would say be curious because um, majority of the work that I at least did I, at the beginning uh, and that kind of taught me to be curious was that um, my background was not in the video compression. What I studied was not related to the video compression. Mm -hmm. So I was like studying different stuff from statistics, um, computer graphics, um, design some models which are used in CAD designs, so like splines and so on. And then when I moved to video, um, that actually helped me because I look at the solution that they had and I was um, thinking, well, okay, why is that uh, we tend to, in this other area, do it completely differently? Let me try it. So um, I think that's kind of important that even if you work in certain area, try to follow whatever you can with kind of uh, from adjacent topics. And that probably will help you. So you'll be kind of, um, I don't want to say, but you will be like less narrow-minded. Mm -hmm. You will be inspired by other people work in other areas. Um, and maybe the third thing is that um, you are not going to survive unless you are uh, willing to learn something new every day. Uh, and the changes are going to be uh, quite substantial. Because uh, I mentioned that there are new, like I mentioned neural networks, but that's not the only new thing that, you know, we were adding to the codex, but this is something that everybody knows these days. Uh, so we have been actually using it for a couple of ways, years in different ways. But uh, it's not only about new technologies. Um, video as such is also evolving. Like what we are thinking about video these days, it's like this uh, 2D image on our screen. But um, that's changing. Uh, for example, um, another thing that is now talked about is uh, XR, right? And there you are starting to see that video becomes a 3D object in space, which is moving. So uh, at the moment we are looking, and that's also what standards are doing at compression, what we call volumetric video, which is basically 3D object uh, in motion. And so it's not represented by like pixels located on a flat surface. Uh, the pixels, or they might not even be pixels, it might be a meshes, they are located in 3D space. So you have to kind of uh, learn uh, new methods. For example, uh, now I'm refreshing my background in graphics to, to better grasp the ideas which are coming there. Um, and if you are not willing to do it, you are not going to succeed. Mm. And... Uh, Again, since I mentioned those 3D, cameras are changing. We again think about the cameras, what's usually we are using even now in, in uh, 
conferencing, but uh, what's being now classified as camera are also this time of flight cameras. I think people know them more as LIDARs that are used in cars. They are used also in some of the phones and tablets. Uh, and they basically kind of capture position of the points in 3D space, just points. Mm-hmm. And this is perceived, again, as a video. So uh, how do you con- code that? Mm-hmm. And the spo- points can be quite sparse. So the methods uh, that we are using, yes, they are kind of having commonality with what you we used for normal 2D video, but they have to be heavily modified to be effective. So it's, I think, maybe my third lesson that if you want to be relevant in this area and effective, uh, you have to be willing to learn something new every day. You cannot just say, okay, this is what I know. Let me stick to it. Doesn't work. You, you just mentioned a few new technologies there. What do you envision for the future of video streaming in terms of new breakthroughs or uses of this technology? I think what I mentioned, it will be quite important because this um, uh, evolution towards uh, 3D objects, it might not happen as fast as we people are advertising it, but I think in couple of years, it will. Uh, another, I think, issue is that the video that we are coding and we are seeing, it's very different despite that it's, you know, we see 2D video and so on, and we think it's the same thing that we used, you know, 20 or 10 years back. No, it's not. I mean, um, because of the camera's evolution and, uh video being used to, for example, stream the games, uh, so-called split rendering, for example, or cloud gaming. Um, The information included in each pixels is increasing. uh, So we have to code it differently. And I think that will keep evolving because I kind of like, I hope that like one day when I look at TV or whatever will be used to display the information, it will be like literally looking through the window. Uh, It's not there yet. Like the chroma reproduction, uh, dynamic range, they are still not there, but they are getting there. So I think this keeps evolving very steadily and it's like slam dunk. When there will be this evolution towards uh, more Uh, 3D video, different types of capture. And maybe the last evolution which will happen, which can change the way that we caught or what we caught is um, that humans are not the only ones which are now using video. Like when you read about video, you hear more and more about this machine-to-machine communication. And that starts to be... Uh, or maybe even soon will be a bigger portion of the traffic than video sent uh, for us to watch. And uh, what really is the point of this machine-to-machine communication, it is that it's a camera monitoring something, 
uh, very often sending it to the cloud or some center mm -hmm. uh, for the video to be analyzed and decide, hey, do I have a defect there when I'm manufacturing something? Are there any issues, uh, you know, like um, traffic-wise, so on and so mm -hmm. on? And now the question... Uh, which we are also looking at the answer, I don't think anybody really has, but it's pretty clear that since these videos will be processed by computer vision uh, algorithms, uh, mostly neural networks, mm -hmm. maybe it should not be coded in the same way as for us to watch mm -hmm. it. Because what the machines are looking at and What's important for us when we watch video are completely two different things. Of course. So the algorithms will evolve because how do you measure is the compression doing a good job will be completely different. Mm -hmm. It's not will you, you know, uh, see that there is no bending artifact, no blocking artifact. That doesn't matter to the machine. What, how they operate is different and what's being preserved, uh, it's completely different. So I think that will also change the algorithms, methods and how the codecs are being designed. Mm -hmm. So I would say like these are like the couple of directions that uh, hopefully will like shape the future and, and they are already happening. It's just like very difficult to say at a given moment you know, what will be 100% more important mm -hmm. or successful. Sure. But I would say these are the trends. So we're reaching the end of the interview. And I would like to ask you if you have any final advice uh, for future generations regarding inventorship, patents and standards. I think oh, we actually didn't mention, I didn't mention anything uh, um, about standards. Um I would say if you have a chance to work in the uh, area that involves standardization, I would say try it. Some people love it, some people hate it that I know, because <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a, a competitive environment, but I would say it's also an environment that uh, will accelerate your learning like nothing else, because you have a capability and possibility to exchange ideas with hundreds of equally bright people. Uh, and if you are working alone or even within your own team, it's it to some extent constrained. But if you can work with hundreds of people across the world, it's completely different experience. So... I would say that um, I enjoyed it very much. And I think that also, you know, allow the technologies that I worked on move much faster because um, I kind of get motivated and uh, looking what other people can do and also inspired. And uh, it's really interesting what, what solution they can come with. Um, I would say conferences are supposed to be a similar experience, but um, conferences, I would say, because of uh, maybe you don't have as much time to analyze every paper and so on, um, 
you you don't have a chance to exchange the software and it's a less comp- I don't want to say less competitive but it's a different competitive environment. I always learned more even more because I do value conference and so on but I va- I learned much more from standards than I would learn otherwise. So I would say like all the past advice that I mentioned that's still valid but the other thing is if you have a chance uh try some standardization work you might hate it you might love it but it's something to try. <laughs> I love that. I think you gave great advice. Um thank you so much Marta for spending this time with us and sharing so much knowledge and insight and also your story. Um it has been really a pleasure. It has been also a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for inviting me by the way. <laughs> well of course, thank you for accepting. Thank you for listening to IP Stories by 4IP Council. Visit our website on 4ipcouncil.eu to find out more and check out the links mentioned during this episode. If you liked it, remember to share and subscribe.